Our first scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 24 through 27. I know it says 26 in your bulletin, but we're going to go one further. Hear now the word of the Lord. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for the people of God. So I'm a person who, from a very young age, fell in love with stories. My mom's office at the elementary school where I went was in the back of the library, which meant when she was doing her work after school, I got to spend a lot of time surrounded by books. And when you're surrounded by books and also five and six and seven years old, there's nothing to do but start to try and read them. And it was during that time that I found that these overarching plots of stories, these characters that developed and took me along with them on their adventures, that that was a place that I could go and find joy. And as I got older, I found that that extended too into film, and I started to love movies and anything really that told a story. So it was only reasonable when I got to about middle school that I started trying to write stories of my own. And They weren't awful, but they were pretty close because for whatever reason, as a a middle schooler, I just couldn't quite seem to give anything any real weight. Nothing stuck. Nothing had any emotional impact. And I tried and tried, and I practiced my writing, and I worked on my style, and I could come up with these really interesting scenes. But at best, all I could do was string together disjointed uh, scenes and circumstances in a way that never felt complete, but rather just felt like one thing, and then another thing, and then another. And so I started trying to figure out why is it that this, this is all coming out so unsatisfying, so disappointing. And I started reading advice from authors that they'd given throughout the years. 
And I came across this advice given by a Russian author in the late 1800s named Antonin Chekhov. And he said that if you introduce something in the first act of a story, then it needs to be used in the last act of a story. And I thought about this for a while, and the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. If you were going to introduce something, it better be of some meaning. It better have some purpose. Otherwise, just leave it out. Save the words. And what, as I lingered on that, what came to mind is this fact that every element, every detail of a story should play a role in the story as a whole. It shouldn't stand on its own, but it should rather work with everything else. And it should all work together to build up towards a satisfying ending. And an ending is only satisfying if it touches back on everything that came before. It can't be separated in the same way that the elements of the story can't be separated. And in that sense, the ending sort of governs everything else, because if it's not relevant to the ending, then it shouldn't be there. The details build to the end, and the end clarifies the details. This is true for the story of God's people as well. This is true for the story that God has been telling through creation since the very beginning, when into nothing he spoke those words, let there be light. It's a story that continued on through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the apostles and the disciples who heard Jesus Christ preaching, continues on through that final amen of the book of Revelation. And it continues on even still, even now, 2,000 years after the last book was written. God's story is not yet finished, but rather is ongoing. He's still telling that same story today. And in a lot of ways, I think we can see that. In the world of the Christian church, this is why we share our testimonies. What we're doing is we're telling our, our perspective on how God's story in our life has come to be. We tell one another of the work that God is doing in us and has done in our lives and through us for the people around us. And we hear the stories that other people have to tell as well. And as we gather more and more of these stories, more of these little snapshots of God's power and work, we can start to get a bigger picture of what God is doing in creation. We can see where we sit within this larger story, this larger overarching plot line that's been, uh, that began so long ago. <clears throat> What we see in each and every one of these little snapshots in every testimony that we hear is the same kind of transition. The plot line of this is this movement from where we were before to where God has us going. And Scripture tells us that we weren't just in a bad state before. It tells us that we were dead, that our souls were withered up and dry. There was no life left in them. But the transition that's made here, the change that happens through Jesus Christ, is that when we have faith in him and drink deep from that well of living water, our spirits are rejuvenated and we move from death into life, into new and vibrant life. 
That's what we've been talking about in these weeks since Easter Sunday, since the moment that we recognized this year the resurrection of Christ and celebrated it. It's, it's the story that we've been telling every Sunday since the founding of this church. It's the message of the gospel that you can know through Jesus Christ new life. And in that new life, in seeing God's story that's unfolding, we can have our eyes turned towards the end that God is pursuing. You see, when we have a firm picture of God's final plan, of where God is taking us and is going with all of this, when we start to recognize the end of the story that we're working towards, we can understand that this new life that we have found is built on and bound to Jesus. This is what our scripture says this morning. It says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, that was the why we believe. This is what we believe. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul is talking here to people who were surrounded by a culture that said, you can take comfort in the fact that the end is the end and there's nothing else. But what he was recognizing was that no one's actually comforted by that message. And further, that it's not true. So he came to them and said, you don't have to grieve like those people who have no hope because you have hope. You've seen the resurrection of Christ and you know that we are being raised with him into new life, even now and in eternity. Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, he says, we have no need for grief or fear. We don't need to let those things overwhelm us or hold us down. We've been talking in here about what it means to pursue new and better life and how Christ offers that to us. And one of those things about better life is that we can have joy, that we can have comfort in the resurrection of Jesus because we know that that is our source of hope for the future. Not just our immediate future, but our eternal future as well. Because we know that the end that uh, we know the end that we're working towards. We know that new life is how we can have better life. It's how we can have good life. But we also know that just because we have new life in Christ doesn't mean that we're going to live lives of ease or leisure. In fact, it usually means the opposite. Most of the early apostles were executed as martyrs. So what does it mean then for us to have good life? Well, this question of what it means for something to be good is something that people have wrestled with forever. Even the ancient Greeks had a take on it, but I guess they had a take for everything. And so I have a story to illustrate this for you. Back when I was in college, I fell in love with fountain pens. Now, if you know me, that's probably not super surprising. I, I have enthusiasm about all kinds of things. Uh, I like to get excited, but fountain pens are kind of a weird thing to uh, enjoy. But I, I did. It was a small comfort in a time of college, uh, in the time of much homework and late nights. And so I, I would use these pens in class. And every once in a while, someone would notice and comment on it. And 
uh, brighten my day a little bit. But one day, one of my professors noticed, and he said, I couldn't help but see that you were using a fountain pen. Is that something that you, uh, that you are into? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, well, I actually collect vintage fountain pens. And so if you ever want to see any of them, I've got some pretty cool ones. Uh, and so I decided I was going to take him up on that. I already was meaning to go ask him for a recommendation letter. So this seemed like a perfect way to uh, get a little bit more into his good graces. And so I went up there, and he actually did have some really cool old ones. Uh, but one in particular that he showed me was from the early 1900s. And it was a beautiful fountain pen. It was, it was not just shiny, but when you held it, it was perfectly balanced and perfectly weighted. Uh, it felt like it would be a joy to write with. The nib was made of gold, so you could tell that when you pushed down on it, it would flex just enough so that you could get some of that nice line variation if you have good handwriting, which I did not, so it wouldn't have been much help to me. But there was one problem with this fountain pen. It didn't write anymore. It couldn't hold any ink. And so I had to ask the question to myself, not to him, is this a good pen or is it just a beautiful pen? And I decided that a good pen is one that can write and write well. In the same way that a good car is one that drives well. Because something is good when it can fulfill the purpose that it was designed for. So a pen that can't write can't be a good pen. So if that's what good is, then what does it mean for us to have a good life? Well, it means that our lives will be in line with what God designed them to be. New life in Christ is that good life because it's drawing us closer to Him with each passing day. And what we can see when we read through Scripture is that even though we call this new life because it's different from what we've known, it's actually touching on something that's truly ancient. It's a glimpse back to what was real in Eden, to what God initially designed the world to be. Because the story of creation, the story that we are in the middle of, starts with perfection. It starts with everything being as it was designed to be. But then it quickly moves into a fall away from perfection. And that's what Scripture tells us the story of, is the story of God's people laboring in a land that they were never meant to be in, in a place where sickness and doubt and fear were abundant. And then the story of Christ is the, is the way that new life is reintroduced it's the next step in the story, this rebuilding of relationship between us and God and us and one another through the church. And that's where we are now. That's where our testimonies sit, is we tell the story of our journey from old death to new life, abundant life. But we also know, because of the same scriptures, that that is not the end of the story that this is not the final step, but is rather just a glimpse of what's coming. We know the end, that God will restore creation to perfection. We know that that's what 
all of this is leading up to and what all of this is working towards. We know that everything that happens now is leading up to that final perfection, that in our new life, we get a foretaste of that resurrection in eternity, that even though we've been raised now out of death and into this new life in Christ, that the day will come when we will be raised into perfection, when the work that God is doing in us and in our world will be completed, that the power of the Spirit will continue to work in us until the day comes that we are fully sanctified, that we are made holy and pure in the presence of God. And it culminates in the reunion of the living and the dead with God forever. We know that this new life that we experience in Christ is just the beginning, that it's just a preface to the eternal life that we're meant for. The eternal life that Scripture tells us is one without any need for grief, because there will be no more loss. Without any need for mourning, because there will be no more pain, no more sickness. Even death will lose its sting forever and in entirety. We know that that's the end that's coming. So as we look into our own lives, as we see our resurrection from death to new life, I want to invite you to be looking into the world around you to see beyond just the snapshot that you know and see if you can recognize where we are in that arc of resurrection that God is working in our world as a whole. Thanks be to God. Amen.